This morning we're going to do something different this morning and next week. And uh, I don't know how many of you have ever done a word study in the Bible. I won't ask for hands, but you know it's a rich time. When you just select a word, uh, you know there's those fruit of the Spirit. You might have picked one of those, for example. Or you might say, I want to do one on suffering. <laughs> you probably don't, but uh, uh, it would be a rich study or perseverance uh, on love. Uh, there are many, many uh, words that you could choose. And uh, you trace it through the Bible. You get a concordance out and ch- trace that word through the Bible. And uh, what happens is you end up with a kind of a real personal rich theology that comes from that. And this morning, that's what we're going to be doing. We're going to trace the word hope. The word hope. Uh, this Sunday and next Sunday through your New Testament. Now that means we're going to be dealing with a lot of Scripture, and it's sort of like you going with me to the uh, Golden Corral. Okay? Now I'll tell you why I say that. Because if you're going to go to the Golden Corral, you've got to get in line with your plate, and you've got to go look at all that food and fill it full, you know, fill that plate full to enjoy that. So, thank you, brother. Thank you. And some of you say, uh, we've done that many times. Okay. But the thing is, I say that because you're, you're going to need to take your Bible out. All right. Or some of you have your phones. Whatever. But take it out, and you're going to have to join me in looking up these scriptures. Now, all of them are from the New Testament. And uh, I think you'll find it a, to be a very rich uh, study. Uh, that's what I've done with this word hope. And from my study, I've formed sort of a mini-theology and practical application that I hope, got that, I hope will bless you today as well as next Sunday. So we're going to use a lot of scripture, and I want you to use your Bible. We'll give you an opportunity to look up those references in your Bible as we go along. Well, we begin then with this in your outline. The unsaveds, that's kind of a strange word, the unsaveds, that's a possessive, the unsaveds total bankruptcy when it comes to hope. Wow, it starts there. The unsaveds total bankruptcy when it comes to hope. Now, to verify that point, we need to define hope. I think it's interesting because if you get out Webster's Dictionary, here's what you're going to find. He says, to cherish a desire with expectation of fulfillment. To long for with expectation of obtainment. To expect with desire. Desire accompanied by expectation of or belief in fulfillment. And then I love this. The last one, he has in italics, archaic, archaic. And then he says, trust, reliance. Interesting. When God uses this word hope in the Bible to describe his relationship to his children, to Christians, it always, it always speaks of that which he guarantees. Always. In that context, it never refers to something that you long for and desire with expectation that may or may not come to pass. We were hoping it would not rain today. Even though I'm going to get wet in the baptism, I'm still hoping it will not rain. It may, it may not. But because this hope comes from God, it is a guaranteed hope. Hope. If uh, we were to choose which one of Webster's dictionary's uh, definitions we would uh, go with, it would have to be that very last one, the one that's archaic, the one that means trust or reliance. Um, and uh, it would be backed up with the word certainty. Certainty. Well, there are many, many things both the unsaved and the saved hope for and long for that never come to pass. Talked about the weather would be one of them. You know, if you're going on a picnic, you would think, well, it would be nice if it did not rain. I hope it doesn't rain. Uh, those at family camp are hoping it does not rain and so forth. But uh, uh, there's people that hope to get married, but the, never, the right person never comes along. So even though they hope, they don't get married. Uh, there are people that uh, uh, hope uh, that uh, they will... Uh, 
get cured of some disease that they've been struggling with, cancer, fibromyalgia, Parkinson's, MS, and so forth. We can go on and on with all that list. And you really, really do hope, and you do everything in your power hoping to find a cure, but maybe it doesn't happen. This is not the kind of hope we're looking at in the Scriptures, and that's an encouragement to know. This hope that God provides for His children is not that kind. It is a guaranteed hope. It's a certainty. But when it comes to every unsaved person, they are totally bankrupt when it comes to this kind of hope. So number one in your outline under that major point, the unsaved total bankruptcy when it comes to hope. Number one, they have no hope and are without God in the world. What a uh, eye-opening, awful declaration from God. They have no hope and are without God. It's interesting how many people think they are with God. You know, they got a hold of Him somehow. They, they got a connection. And He says they're without hope and without God in this world. Ephesians 2.12. So there's your first chance to go to the smorgasbord and fill your plate. Ephesians 2.12 in your Bible. And uh, give you a little bit of time opportunity to get there. And of course you say, why should I get there? It's on the board. Okay, a wall. Okay. That's the handwriting on the wall up there, by the way. Okay. <laughs> he says, and what he does, he tells, he says, you need to remember what was your situation before you got saved. He says, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, remember salvation is of the Jew, and were strangers to the covenants of promise. Covenants of promise. God made some promise to the Jewish people. He said, you were excluded from all of that, having no hope and without God in the world. By the way, this does not necessarily mean that they did not or do not have a good life here and now. Things may be going great for them. Like uh, Psalm 73 talks about, Asaph talks about that. It does not mean that they aren't getting the things that they might want. Uh, they may have a great marriage, wonderful kids and grandkids, plenty of money, plenty of freedom, and even good health. All of that may be going their way. But, in their spiritual condition, this is the best heaven they will ever get. Unless, of course, they get this hope from God. This is the best heaven. This is it. And uh, every day, and by the way, that experience, even uh, this being the best heaven they will ever experience, it certainly is short-lived. We know that, don't we? It's certainly short-lived. Every day adds a little more decay to their present existence. And so, if God does not allow them to have a long life, or even if He does, they finally come to that time that exposes the next truth about the unsaved. And that's number two. They have no hope when it comes to death and dying. They have no hope. Now, hold it a minute. God has to weigh in on that one. I'll tell you why. It's interesting, this culture we're living in, how people get a false hope when it comes to death and dying. You know, everybody now goes to heaven. It's just a common thing. This God uh, has to let them in. He's a God of love and so forth. So everybody goes to heaven is the thought of a lot of people. So God has to weigh in on this issue in His revealed truth, in His written word. They may find some sort of peace having been completely deceived and blinded by Satan who owns them. They may fully believe that their unsaved loved one or they themselves will live on in some place that they call paradise or heaven. Or they will come back through, for example, being reincarnated. Things like that they may believe in. But God, but God says they have no hope. He says when they or their unsaved loved one dies, they are sent immediately to Hades, a place of torment, where they await the great white throne judgment. And at that judgment, they're cast into the lake of fire where they're eternally tormented, separated from God. That's what he says in his written word. Now they may stand at a graveside and be completely deceived. And Satan loves his master deceiver. 
But God says they have no hope and they're without God in the world. And 1 Thessalonians 4.13. In your Bibles, do I hear the rustle of the leaves? Okay, 1 Thess 4.13. And here he's writing to believers, but he's taking them out of the context of they were unsaved, but they're now saved. He says, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren. Good. He says, I've got some information for you. We want you to know it about those who are asleep. Now, he's not talking about the church service at the First Baptist Church of Arlington. He's talking about saved people that have died. He says they are asleep in that sense, not soul sleep. He just means they, they're separated from their body. Uh, there with the Lord, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. I mean, day in and day out, they go out to the cemetery, the crematorium, whatever, and they know the loved one, they know there's a separation between them and their loved one, and he says they have no hope. Well, that brings us to the next part, major part in the message. Where does our hope come from? I'm going to suggest five sources. One of them overlaps. Really, in some ways, they all overlap. But where does our hope, I'm talking about biblical hope, where does it come from? Well, look at Colossians 1, 3 through 6. I said you get a chance to step up to the food and open your Bible and fill it full. So there is Colossians 1, 3 through 6. Where does our hope come from? Well, number one, it comes from the gospel which has come to you. It comes from the gospel. In Colossians 1, 3 and following, we give thanks to God, Paul writes, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Evidently, he had not visited the church in Colossae at this point. And the love which you have for all the saints. Why? Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of which you previously heard in the word of truth, the gospel which has come to you. Just as in all the world also, I love that part, in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing, even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Well, Paul had been in Ephesus for three years. On his second and third missionary journeys, he had been there for three years. And uh, it says that all of Asia heard at that time. And evidently, uh, you had, uh, uh, what was his name, uh, uh, Epaphras here, uh, who had gone and heard Paul, got saved, been discipled. He went back to Colossae and he shared the gospel with them and they got saved. And now they've got this hope because of the gospel. That's what he's saying. It makes me ask the question, which you don't have time to answer this morning, but a couple guys will, I think, during our baptismal service. And that is, when did the gospel come to you? Has it come to you? Have you responded? When did you respond to the gospel? When did, Paul says, uh, I, I give to you in 1 Corinthians 15, the gospel, which is Jesus Christ was crucified, rose the third day, for, uh, died for our sins, and rose the third day according to the scriptures. That's the gospel, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 3. When did it come to you? And how did it come to you? And when did you respond to it? These people responded. And that's where they got their hope, from hearing the gospel. When you think about it, here you got this sea of people that were always around. We work with them. We live next to them. They might be in our family and so forth. And they have no hope in the, without God in the world. And we're the ones that are the gospel in shoe leather, as well as we take it verbally to them, telling them that they can have hope. Not a, I hope it will be, but a certainty, a guarantee from God of eternal life and so forth. Well, that's... The first source. Number two, it comes from God the Father. You would expect that. Look at Romans 15, 13. And after Romans 15, 13, we're going to go to 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21. By the way, we'll be going through a number of these scriptures a number of times. But we start with Romans 15, 13. It comes from God the Father. Now, this is a great verse. Not that they're not all great. But this is really one of those super great simplified Nuggets, if you please. 
Romans 15, 13, it comes from God the Father. Now may the God of hope, it's talking about God the Father, fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. There, God is the author of hope. He's the author of hope. Look with me at 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21. Here it talks about the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's behind all of it, God the Father. In 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21, For He was foreknown, that is, the Lord Jesus Christ, before the foundation of the world. But has appeared in these last times for the sake of you who through Him are believers in God, who raised Him from the dead and gave Him glory, so that your faith and hope are where? In God. You can read it, can't you? (laughs) Good. In God. So that your faith and hope are in God. You might call that the object of hope, but He's the source of it. Well, number three, it comes from, you would know this one, Christ in you. You surely would know that. It's usually on the wall behind me here. But let's begin first with 1 Timothy 1, verse 1. It comes from Jesus Christ in you. In 1 Timothy 1, verse 1, Paul, it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the commandment of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, what is it? You can say it together. Who is our hope? Jesus Christ is our hope. Ah, but in what sense is he our hope? Colossians 1.27. Everybody say it to, with me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Listen, He's in me. God, not, God is not only the author of hope, He is the hope and He's in me. Christ is in you, the hope of glory. I mean, that just opens the whole revelation to heaven, doesn't it? It opens the whole thing of you finally being home with the Lord and uh, experiencing uh, freedom from all sin. Freedom from a sinful, fallen world and a glorified body and all the reward He's got in store for you. It says, that is the source of our hope. Christ in you, the hope of glory. But you might guess number four, it also comes from God, the Holy Spirit. Now, look at Romans. And we're going to be looking at Romans uh, uh, chapter 5 more than once. But look with me, if you would, at Romans 5 at this time. And I'm going to be cutting right in the middle of that with verse 4 and 5. Romans 5, 4 and 5. We also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. And proven character, hope. I love it. And hope does not disappoint It doesn't disappoint because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. I mean, why do I know I have hope? Because the Holy Spirit, He's dwelling within me and He's flooded me with the love of Christ, even my difficulty and it looks like everything's going wrong. It says, no, it's not. I belong to God. And of course, you know Romans 8 about all things working together for good. And he says, those he called justified into all the way he glorifies. And so it's a guaranteed hope. But look at Romans 15, 13 again. You've seen it before. So you may not have to turn there. It'll be on the wall here. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope. How? By the Holy Spirit or the power of the Holy Spirit. When I saw that, so it's the Holy Spirit in me, His power that is blessing you with this hope, this assurance from God. It reminded me of of, uh, Ephesians 3.20. Now to Him is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond all that we could ever ask or think according to the power that works within us. That's great, isn't it? This is God the Holy Spirit. Theologians speak of what they call the economic trinity. I don't know. Theology book stuff, you know. Economic trinity, which speaks about how each person of the trinity participates in God's great plan of 
creation and redemption or salvation. When it comes to salvation, God the Father is said to have decreed it. This was His plan. It is in the Scripture we discover it is the Lord Jesus Christ who executed it. He made it possible by coming and uh, paying the price of sin and so forth. And then it is the Holy Spirit is said to bring it to fruition in our lives. He takes and illuminates our mind and understanding with the Scriptures. He convicts us of our sin. He causes us to put our faith in Jesus Christ. He causes us to be born again. And He then even causes our growth and to bear fruit. And finally takes us right on to being glorified. That's what we mean by the economic trinity. All three persons of the Trinity are involved in this hope that we so enjoy. But number five, there's a little bit of overlap here, just a little bit. This hope, where does it come from? It comes from the Scriptures. Now we saw the Gospel in that Scriptures, but listen to this one. You've got to get this in Romans 15.4. So everybody's got to turn to that so you know where it is and mark it in your Bible. It is rich. Romans 15.4. None of that keeps you awake. He's so fast, he gets it up there before you guys even get your Bible. But that's, use your Bible anyway. Listen to Romans 15.4. It comes from the Scriptures. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction so that through perseverance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, what? We might have hope. Isn't that good? It's not just the scriptures and the gospel there that brings us to salvation. Having heard the gospel, the good news that Jesus died for our sins and rose again the third day and so forth. No, it's more than that. We find hope by being encouraged by the scriptures. That's why it, this, uh, that we endure, for example, and endurance brings forth hope. And it brings forth a sure thing. Because we go to the, God will use our difficulties to drive us into the scriptures like David was. I, I, you know, if you would have traveled with Paul, now I know he was a walking Bible. But even the Lord, when he was here, what did he do? He used the scriptures, didn't he? He used the Old Testament. And Paul used the Old Testament. Even though he was involved with writing the New, he was still constantly in the scriptures. And there he found encouragement. Encouragement that we might have hope. Well, but here's an issue. The next major point. How do we know? How do we know our hope is an absolutely sure thing? Now let me say this. Probably the great majority of Christians don't know that. That may take you by surprise. If you believe that you can lose your salvation, for example, you don't believe that, then you don't believe that's an absolutely sure thing. So it's a pretty important thing here. How do we know our hope is an absolutely sure thing? Well, number one under that, reasons we may question our hope as being a sure thing. And I've just got probably a few. There's probably a lot more than this. But this is where all of us live. Every Christian lives here, so so I've got a few things we need to consider. Reasons we may question our hope as being a sure thing. Well, we easily fall back into Webster's definition of hope. It, we hope it is. We, it may or may not be, you know, that kind of a deal. And that's not where you want to be. Well, one of the reasons is we're sinful beings, aren't we? We deal with sin day in and day out. We know we can easily be self-deceived. Uh, sin causes us to doubt our salvation and our relationship with God. And we feel guilty. And guilt will cause you to question this thing of the sure thing of the hope that we have or you had and then seemingly lost. And you can sense yourself, I'm unworthy. A lot of Christians say, you don't know my life. I'm so unworthy. I'm so miserable. I've failed so many times. I can't get the victory. And so they think that maybe their hope is not a sure thing. I mean, for a while they thought they had it and then they lost it. The second reason we may not be all that familiar with the Scriptures this is where it's not how you feel. It's not even your experience. What does the Word of God say? That's where you are. That's where we need to be. What does God say about this? And believe me, because we're so up and down, we really need the authority of the written Word here. 
And then we find ourselves in situations where we feel God is so far away. Job, an example. And he does not come quickly to our aid and give us the deliverance we long for. And you begin to question. And wonder, is my hope really a sure thing? Why am I going through this? Where are you? Why are you not coming to my deliverance? And that's why it's great to have the book of Job, by the way. And then here's another one. We get hurt. Something happens. And we allow ourselves to be alienated from God, from intimate fellowship with God. And believe me, Satan's a master at that, is he not? And so there are just some of the reasons why we question our hope as being a sure thing. So join me on this next part. Number two, reasons we can know with certainty our hope is a sure thing. Know with certainty. Because that's what this hope in the Bible is all about. Titus 1, 1 and 2. So use your Bible again, if you will. You can also put these in your notes, because I didn't put those verses in there. I might for next week. I didn't put them in your notes or in mine. But Titus 1, verses 1 and 2. These are great. We can know with certainty our hope is a sure thing. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle Jesus Christ, for the faith of those chosen of God... And the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness, listen, what to say, in hope of eternal life, which God, who what? Cannot lie. Promised long ages ago. That's good. That's good. I recognized I was a sinner. I recognized I was going to go to hell in that condition. I believe the only hope was in Jesus Christ who went to the cross, bore all my sin, bore all my deserved judgment, wrath of God. And then the third day God raised him from the dead. And I say, I believe it. I believe you're my only hope. And I put my faith in him like a child would, just simple childlike faith. And God says, listen, I give you the hope of eternal life, Bill Walker, and I cannot lie. I promised that to you long ago. But let's get a little bit stronger in this. Look, and you got got to all turn to this. So don't, don't, have you put it up already? Don't do it yet. Let them find it. Hebrews 6. Yeah, Craig will put it up here. But Hebrews 6, 17 through 20. You got to all turn to this and mark this one. This is good. This is so rich and deep. This is good. I'll know when you're there. Hebrews 6. All right, is it up there? He's ready. All right, good. In the same way, God, desiring even more... God's got a desire here about you. Desiring even more to show to the heirs of the promise the unchangeableness of His purpose. Interpose with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie. So he's saying two things. He gave you an oath and it's impossible for God to lie. Those are the two things. We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. So I want you to have a strong hope. Well, what kind of a strength of hope were you talking about? This hope we have as a what? An anchor, an anchor of the soul. A hope both sure and steadfast, and one which enters within the veil where Jesus has entered as a forerunner for us, having become a high priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. He says, this hope I give you takes you right into through the veil and into my very presence through the Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, what it kind of, he said it's so strong and sure and steadfast. It's a, you're a great big ship and it is a huge anchor. When we lived in Astoria, those ships would come in there to the uh, harbor there, and they would be anchored out there in the in the water in the Columbia River. You know, they drop anchor front, back, and so forth, and that's where they stayed. But these are so strong that no storm can move your ship. I love it. Look what he says. Don't you love that? He says again. He says, "We who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. This hope we have as an anchor of your soul, 
anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ who entered the veil and is in the very presence of God who sat down at the right hand of the throne of God Almighty. Amazing. Well, look at 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. God has more to say to you and me about this hope. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Getting your plate full? We're going to enjoy this feast. That's You know, you fill your plate to go back to the table to eat it, to enjoy it. I'm getting hungry. Thank you, Bev, and the others who helped with that, uh, Joan and others who helped with the breakfast this morning. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a what? A living hope. Isn't that great? A living hope. Why is it alive? Why is it alive? He says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's why it's alive. Your hope is in Him and He's alive. And you're in Him and He's in you. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. It won't fade away. Oh, he says, I'm not through. I'm not through. Have you ever gotten a reservation, got there and found out you didn't have a reservation? If you really have the hope, if you really put your faith in Jesus Christ, listen, it is a guaranteed reservation reserved in heaven for you. The beautiful? You sinners, you. No, your sinners saved by grace and it's reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God. There's that power again. The Holy Spirit given us through His power that hope according to uh, uh, Romans uh, 15. Or uh, 15, yeah. 15, 13. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed at the last time. You know what? It really is ready to be revealed in the last time. And I think we're near those last times if we're not in them, right? Ready to be revealed. Oh, just lift up your head. Your redemption draws nigh. And why? You've got this hope. This guaranteed assurance from God. What did Paul say in Philippians 1, 6? For I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect. He will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yes, I play a role in that, my sanctification. The justification was all of Him. But my sanctification, my growth, my my walking in fellowship and obedience and bearing fruit and so forth, that's, I play a role in that. Yes, work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you, causing you to will and work for His good pleasure. Well, next major point here, what does this hope from God do for us? What does it do for us? I don't suppose I got it all, but I'm going to recommend or share with you four things. Number one, it assures us of our resurrection. That hope, that guarantee from God, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, assures you of your resurrection. In Acts 23, verse 6, Paul was you know, he's delivered over to the Pharisees down there, the one to tear him apart. And he says, well, actually, as the Sanhedrin, some were uh, Sadducees, others were Pharisees. He said, brethren, I am a Pharisee, a son of the Pharisees. I'm on trial for the hope of the resurrection of the dead. And the Pharisees believed in that. And of course, they said, hey, wait a minute, this guy isn't so bad after all. Well, he still is under house arrest or trial. And they take him down to Caesarea. And there he stands for uh, before King Herod. And in Acts 26, verses 6 through 8, he says, And now I am a standing trial for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers, the promise to which our twelve tribes hope to attain, as they earnestly serve God night and day. And for this hope, for this hope, O King, I am being accused by the Jews. Why is it considered incredible among you people if God does raise the dead? It assures us of our resurrection. 
I need not have you go back to 1 Thessalonians 4.13, but what did he say there? But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that is, believers who have died, so that you will not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. He said, you've got hope. (laughs) My mom is 90. She uh, forgets things now a lot. She's always glad when I call her, I go and see her, and she knows who I am and all that. But if I would call her the next day, she probably wouldn't remember that I uh, had visited the day before. But I also am that way, so I understand that, okay? Um, But you know what? If mom dies today, hallelujah, she's going to be freed, and she's going to be home with the Lord because she loves the Lord. That's her hope. And when you stand out at a graveside, or maybe it's uh, through a cremation, whatever it might be, and you stand there and you know that person had their faith in Jesus Christ, you know where they are. You absolutely know. Immediately they went into the presence of the Lord. That, And they're going to be resurrected. It's their, they're now in the present world, but they're going to be resurrected. And the Bible says, you've got that hope. That is a guarantee from God. What an encouragement to us as we make this journey and see death all around us. A lot. Well, number two, Romans 5, 1 through 5, if you'll turn there. There's so much in this one. We looked at it earlier, but there's even more than that uh, that we're going to say. Number two, it will not disappoint. Isn't that good? Have you ever had your hope set high on something and got disappointed? This hope from God will not ever disappoint. It will not disappoint. It will deliver the goods. It will deliver the goods. Romans 5, 1 through 5, therefore having been justified by faith. Stop there. That means God declared you righteous. Just as righteous as His Son is because you have His righteousness. When you put your faith in Jesus. you got to put your faith in Him first or you aren't declared righteous by God. But when you put your faith in Him, therefore having been justified at something that's already happened, uh, He declared you righteous by faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The world can be falling apart, and indeed it is. But don't you have peace? Don't Just one of you? That's it. Lucy, you and me, we're the only ones. <laughs> Hallelujah, sister, you and I are on the same page. <laughs> don't you have peace with God, though? Because even though the world around you is falling apart, they don't know what's going to happen next. And we have it through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have obtained our introduction. This is just the beginning of it. Our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand. Staggering that God says you stand. My children stand in my grace. Right now. I mean, you talk about a world that has no hope and and doesn't have God, and here we are saved, and we stand in His presence, in His grace. Through His Son, of course. And that's why, folks, we exult. We exult in the hope of the glory of God. Now there's so much in that. We're exalting this hope because we know where it leads. Ultimately, it's heading. we're on a journey and we're moving right into His presence where we're going to have a glorified body and all the glory of the eternity with Him. And it's ours. And we exalt in this right now. And He says, not only this. I love it. He said, we just looked into the future. We just saw it was sure as the promises of God. That's our hope. That's our guarantee. We looked into the future. Now I take you right back into time. Boing, right here. And not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations. What? I would call that an incredible hope. We stand in this grace, clothed in this righteousness, declared righteous. And, and, and we see the future, we, gear, we know what's ours there. 
that we're, the glory of God is ours as well. And he says, now I take you right back in time where you're going through the worst time possible. And he says, what do you do? You find yourselves exulting in your tribulation, knowing that tribulation brings about perseverance, and perseverance proven character, and proven character hope. It just makes that hope like a muscle stronger and stronger and stronger. And hope does not disappoint. It always delivers the goods. Why? Because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And if you went over to chapter 8, you say, discover as you know well, nothing can ever separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Amazing. Just amazing. No wonder the devil hates us. Romans 15, 13. Number 3. Romans 15, 13. It fills us with joy and peace. Who's surprised about that? This hope fills us with joy and peace. We've gone back now for the third time to Romans fifteen thirteen. Now may the God of hope, because he's the author of may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. He said, I want you to be filled full of joy and peace. Filled to the brim. But it doesn't stop there. He didn't stop there. So that you will what? What's it say? Abound. (laughs) Abound in hope. Does this sound like, I hope it doesn't rain. Maybe it will. Maybe it won't. I hope I get to heaven. Maybe I will. Maybe I won't. No. This is abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, you don't just have a little hope. Just an inkling of hope. You abound. In hope. You know what? No wonder we're walking epistles. No wonder we are walking testimonies to a world that's without hope and without God in this world. I mean, people that go around abounding in hope like that, full of joy and peace. <laughs> we have a, we have something to share with the lost world, do we not? We were there once before. If nothing more, we can identify them from that perspective. Look, I was right where you are now, and let me tell you what made the change in my life. They need to hear that, do they not? Number four, it gives us eternal life having made us heirs. It's not just eternal life. It's more. It gives us eternal life having made us heirs. Titus 1 again, verses 1 and 2. We've been there before, but we visited again. Paul, a bondservant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen by God and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness in the hope of eternal life. There it is. In the hope of eternal life, the guarantee of eternal life, the certainty of eternal life, which God who cannot lie promised long ages ago. But go over to Titus chapter 3. Titus 3, verses 4 through 7. Again, there's so much in these verses. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. Not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, no works whatever, but according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, so this person now is saved, being justified by His grace, we would be made, what? Heirs. Heirs. According to the hope of eternal life. Not just getting there, but heirs. And then just to enrich that a little bit, Going back to 1 Peter 1, verses 3 through 5. And again, we're revisiting this, these passages. 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. What's the next part? Together? To obtain an inheritance. 
which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith and for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. I hope that you're being encouraged by just these passages where God is speaking to you about the hope that He has given to you in His Son. But number five, number five, it will make us like Christ. When he appears. You know one of the greatest joys. Of the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. The appearance of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that you're no longer going to have sin in you. How incomprehensible is that? All our life we had to struggle with it. It's like dragging a great weight along. is a chain to it. Sin always. I mean, it doesn't matter. You say, I want to worship the Lord with absolutely pure motives, but the trouble is they're never absolutely pure. I wish I could do this, but then you don't do it. And then you, you long to be obedient and you're disobedient and you struggle through life and all that. And he says, you know, the day's going to come. You're going to be exactly like me. What an incredible thing to no longer have any sin and not have to deal with it anymore. It, it really is incomprehensible. But what a thing to aspire to and just savor and say, you know, that was good. Let's go through that line again. I want to fill that plate full again. That was really tasty. Wow. Colossians 1.27, Christ in you, the hope of glory. What does that mean, the hope of glory? It means to be like Him. His day, it says in Colossians 3, 4, verse 4, is your day. The day of His appearing and unveiling is your day of appearing and unveiling. Galatians 5, verse 5. You get to turn to that one, if you will. Galatians 5, verse 5. For we through the Spirit, by faith, are waiting. Oh, now it says we're waiting for something. What are we waiting for? For the hope of righteousness. I thought I was righteous. Yes, you are. You're clothed with His righteousness, and He only sees you in that way. And yet we struggle, often being unrighteous, and He says, no, this day is going to come when you're going to be, you're going to experience the fullness with no limitation, no sin anymore. You're going to be righteous just as He is righteous in your activities, behavior, attitude, your daily life as well. And then the last one I want to share with you, 1 John 3, 1 through 3. It will make us like Christ when He appears. 1 John 3, 1 through 3. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. You know, just stop and take that one in. God says, you're my child. No, you are my child. You are my child. (laughs) Already. If you put your faith in Him, He says, you're mine. You're my child. That we should be called children of God. And such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us. We should understand why they may not cotton to us. Care about our standards and way of living and so forth, because it did not know Him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we shall be. We know, we know that when He appears, we will be like Him. Wow. When He appears, we will be like Him, because we will see Him as He is. You know, you read the Gospels, and you see Him walking there among the twelve disciples and the others, and you think... It would have been kind of cool to have been there. I mean, it wouldn't have been to, to be able to be with Jesus and see Him there. And I mean, who can comprehend being around somebody who never sins? Never. I mean, it just... But uh, He says, you're going to be like Him because you're going to see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope, guarantee, certainty from God, fixed on Him, purifies Himself just As he is pure. Well, listen, that's tomorrow or maybe today's news, isn't it? The Lord comes back. We get to be taken out here, glorified bodies, and we will see him just as he is because we will 
be like him. You may wonder, well, where do we go from here? Next week, Lord willing, what are we to do now with this hope from God? What are you to do with it? You see it. You love it. You filled your plate full. But what are we supposed to do with it? Well, there are about 11 things. So you can do the study if you want. So if I die and go, you can say, well, no problem, Pastor Bill. I did my study in the Bible. I know those 11 things now I'm supposed to do with hope. Otherwise, pray for me that I get to come back next week. Unless, of course, the Lord comes and then we all want to go, okay? (laughs) Oh, my. We sang a song at the beginning, and I thank the uh, people leading us our music because it's the one I chose. They didn't even know it. For closing, it says, my hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. But you know what else it says there? Alex, as we were singing this, you leading us a song and all of it, it was verse 2. When darkness veils his lovely face, I rest on his unchanging grace. In every high and stormy gale, what's the rest of it? My anchor holds within the veil. Isn't that what we just discovered about the hope that God gives us? My anchor holds within the veil. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let me say it another way. Let me say it another way. If you're here and you're unsaved, you're without hope and without God in the world. That's what he's saying. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Dear one, I don't know everyone here, but I want to encourage you. If you've not put your faith in Jesus Christ and you're trusting him only. It's so hard to get through this because people have these preconceived ideas. You know, people of all different groups and so forth, religions, and they think, well, it's okay, I'm trusting my church or whatever. No, don't trust your church. Don't trust your self-effort of righteous works. Trust Jesus Christ. Just put your faith in Him. Like a child. This is not to be complicated. Just like a child. As a little boy, I knew I was a sinner. I believe what the Bible said. I'd go to hell in that condition. I did not want to go to hell. I wanted to have eternal life. I wanted this hope from God. And I said, Jesus, come into my heart and save me. And He did. That's all. Trusting what he did. He took all your sin. Nobody and nothing else can do that. He bore all your deserved judgment. Nobody and no thing can do that. Only he. And God says, now let me prove to you that I'm satisfied with what he did. On the third day, he raised him up from the dead. He said, I am satisfied with my son. Now it's a gift. Get that? A gift. You don't earn it. You don't beg for it. It's a gift. You say, I want it. And come and take it by faith. And then you're saved. On Christ, the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. Father, we thank you for this hope. How rich your word is. How rich even a study of that word is. And what you have to say to us, your children, through your scriptures about that word. Father, this week, may we find great encouragement. No matter what we're going through, may we see the hope of glory in you, Lord Jesus Christ. And to be continually faithful, enduring, and proven character. And it brings about hope. We praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.